Welcome to The Skin Reel, your guide to all things skincare, skin health, beauty, and more, curated by dermatologists and true skin experts. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Alice Mina. I'm a double board certified dermatologist and dermatologic surgeon with over a decade of clinical experience. If you're looking for real, practical, unhyped skincare guidance and expertise, or you just think the skin is really cool, then you're in the right spot. I'm so glad you've tuned in to The Skin Reel. Now let's dive in because this is how dermatologists talk skin. Hi everyone, quick disclaimer here before we start. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional. If you're looking for help on your skin journey, please check out the American Academy of Dermatology's website, aad.org, where you can search their database for dermatologists near you. It is so important that you have someone in your corner who's well-trained, licensed, and board-certified who can help you make decisions when it comes to your skin health. Okay, got it? Great. Now for the fun stuff. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me on this week's episode of The Skin Reel. I am really excited to have my colleague, Dr. Miss Lanker, on with me today. And we are going to take a deeper dive into postpartum hair loss and how you can have healthy hair during pregnancy and after pregnancy. Dr. Miss Lanker, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. So I just did a episode just a couple weeks ago on postpartum skin, hair, nail changes, and I am really excited that you're here to really take us even deeper into the world of postpartum, especially hair loss. I think that is something that is really distressing for a lot of new moms. I know it was for me. What about you? Absolutely. So I have gone through it personally now three times. So we talk about it. We call it postpartum hair loss, but scientifically, us dermatologists use the term or diagnosis telogen effluvium. So I'm sure we'll get into that. But anytime there's any sort of stressful event, whether it's medical stress or psychological stress on our bodies, our hair can go through these changes. So I personally went through it the first time, I think it was about six years ago when I had hip surgery. And then with both of my babies, my oldest is three years old, my youngest is one years old. And so both times I went through it. And like you said, it is stressful. It is de-stressing to be able to see it because even though we know as dermatologists what it is, it was still not ideal to see the clumps of hair in my hand, in the shower. And so I can only imagine for someone who doesn't know what it is or doesn't know how to treat it, how stressful it can be. Absolutely. So let's just talk about what is telogen effluvium. You've sort of touched on it briefly. So I think the easiest way to describe it is to really think about the hair cycle. So in dermatology, you know, the science behind it, we realize we learned that there's three major phases that the hair cycle goes through. So one is called antigen. The other one is called catagen. And then the last one is called telogen. Of those three, I think the most relevant ones are antigen and telogen. And the way I describe it to my patients is antigen is the growth phase. 
telogen is the shedding phase. And then the other one is that kind of resting in between phase. Most of our hair, so like 90% of our hair ideally is in the growth phase. And that's where it stays for years. And then about five to 10% of it can be in that shedding phase at any given time. Ideally, it's closer to five. And it's only supposed to be in there for a few months. So maybe three to four months at a time. Sometimes what happens is anytime there is a stressful event, especially giving birth and pregnancy in general, is we get a shift of that. So instead of most of our hairs being in antigen, we get like 70% of them all of a sudden go into telogen sooner than they're supposed to. So all of your hair is going to go through the cycle. It's normal to lose. I always tell my patients about 100 hairs a day. That is normal for everybody. But that shift when most of your hairs go from that growth phase to shedding phase, if it happens at the same time, that's what telogen effluvium is. Timeline wise, I usually say it's about three to four months after the stressful event. So it's not like right after you give birth or anything like that. It's usually a few months postpartum. The only difference I would say to that is obviously during the pandemic with COVID, we were seeing a lot of COVID related hair loss. That was telogen effluvium. And for whatever reason, at least personally, I found the timeline was a little bit sooner. So I was seeing those patients about two months after having COVID. But yeah, any sort of stress related hair loss and then that extreme shedding a few months later. I definitely saw people with telogen effluvium after COVID and it didn't happen to everyone. And I don't know why it happened to some people and not others, but it was really striking when I first saw it and wasn't expecting that. But that is a great explanation of what telogen effluvium is. And I think it's especially shocking for pregnant women because in pregnancy, our hairs actually are shifted the other direction, right? They're more in the antigen phase. And so that is why when you're pregnant, most women feel that they have this amazing, gorgeous, thick hair, the best hair they've ever had in their life. And so it's sort of this stark contrast to then three months after the baby is delivered. Absolutely. I think the estrogen levels during pregnancy, so they rise, that gives to that big, thick hair. You know, genetically, I've been lucky that Indian descent, family-wise, most of us have a lot of hair. But even for myself during pregnancy, I was like, wow, my hair is really thick right now. And so then to go from that to like extreme shedding, it's a big stark contrast for sure. And one of the characteristics, like you mentioned with telogen effluvium is hair shedding. So there are some conditions with hair loss, right, where you don't actually see the hairs falling out. You just wake up and you look at your part or you look at the back of your scalp with a mirror and you realize, oh my gosh, I can see more of my scalp than I used to see. But with those hair condition or hair loss conditions, you aren't necessarily noticing the shedding. You are just noticing that your hair is gone. But with telogen effluvium, shedding is a big characteristic where you go to wash your hair and instead of the usual 100 hairs coming out, you're noticing hundreds with an S, right? Yeah. I usually say like 300 to 400. And as part of our exam, if you, you know, a patient comes in to see us, I'm sure you do the same thing. We do that hair pull test, right? So when you're pulling on it for other kinds of hair loss, we're not actually seeing that many hairs come out. But during this, it can be like six to 10 hairs just in one little grasp because it's actively shedding. Patients who are going through hair loss definitely don't 
don't like us to intentionally pull their hair, but it does give some very good information. You're right. And when should someone going through telogen effluvium, when should they see a dermatologist or when should they worry? Great question. I think this is, there's so many parts to get into this. So first of all, timeline, right? So timeline, like we said, it happens about three to four months after a stressful event or giving birth. So I usually tell my patients after six months, six to 12 months after it starts shedding. So I don't know, eight, nine months postpartum, that's when the hair should start to come back. Now, you don't necessarily have to wait until that long to see a dermatologist. Traditionally speaking, acute telogen effluvium is going to be like six months or less, right? There are chronic cases where maybe there's a medical vitamin deficiency going on. So at that point, absolutely, I would say come see a dermatologist. But I have some really proactive patients. A lot of them are now like second time moms. So they kind of went through it the first time and they're trying to be on top of it for the second time. So I would say you can come in at any point. But there's plenty of people who don't come in to see the dermatologist for this because the good thing about it is it does self-resolve. So patients is number one, two, and three is what I tell my patients. It will self resolve. I do have a good amount of patients and maybe that's just with age and hormones that afterwards have a little bit of androgenetic or hormonal hair loss. So we can definitely focus on that. But I think there are some things that you could do while you're waiting if you haven't come in to see a dermatologist. So obviously, it depends on what your physician tells you. But I always tell my patients that minoxidil is okay to use even when you're breastfeeding. So that's something you can be proactive about. There's certain supplements you can take. So those are the at home things that I try to counsel my patients on even when they're pregnant. And then if they're distressed about it, want to talk about procedures, some of them come in a little earlier. Yeah, it's super important just for new moms to know when this is happening. It's totally normal. So you don't necessarily have to come in and see your dermatologist. And you are really just going back to your baseline hair where those hairs that were not going into telogen are getting back into telogen. Unfortunately, it just happens all at once, right? So it's non-scarring. Your hair will grow back. So that's what I tell people. That's the good news. Your hair is going to grow back. It can be alarming at first, but just know it is normal. So you don't have to go in and see anyone if you're not bothered by it. And I think sometimes when it's your second, third, et cetera, pregnancy, sometimes you're just like, hey, I don't even have time to deal with this. I know it's going to come back. It is what it is. I'm going to have some little wispies around my temples for a few months or a year, but I'm just, no, it is normal. But I love how you started mentioning there are things we can do if you want to be proactive, if you want to speed things along. And for some people who maybe aren't blessed with such beautiful hair like you, Dr. Ms. Lanker, they may notice the thinning, the shedding a little bit more, right? And they may want to actually do some things. So when you see a patient in your clinic, I know probably number one is minoxidil, right? Can you elaborate more on that? Like where do we get it? What strength, et cetera? Absolutely. So minoxidil or commonly known as the trademark name Rogaine, that's just a brand name version of it, is a foam and basically, or it's a foam or a solution, I should say. What it is, is it's an over-the-counter product that specifically works at the level of the hair follicles. And most of the studies have shown that it actually works to push more hairs into that antigen or that growth phase. The name that most people know it by is Rogaine. It is over-the-counter. The most important thing about it, I will say, is that I always tell my patients to get the men's version. So there is a 2% and there's a 5%. And most of the studies, in my opinion, have shown that the 5% is more effective. 
perspective. I've gotten on a deep dive about this and there's studies actually to show like cost and advertising and marketing. And I think for the most part, the men's is labeled that because of a patent and it has nothing to do with efficacy or safety. So when I tell my patients, all my patients, including my women patients to get the men's version, I think it's more effective and I think it's cheaper. I think the foam is personally a little bit easier to use than the solution. I think it just stays on the area you're intending to use it for, the scalp for the most part. You can get it anywhere. So I have seen people get it off of Amazon. I have bought my generic version from Costco. Kirkland has a option. Walmart online has it, but it's really easily accessible from any drugstore. I totally agree with you. I do tell patients to get the 5%, even though it says for men, still get it. It's not going to give you a beard or mustache. And I do agree the foam delivery, I think it's better. It stays, it gets into the scalp and doesn't drip and spread at least when I've used it. So I definitely like it. It's more, I don't know if people still use mousse, but I remember being little (laughs) using mousse. That's what it is. I used to use mousse to scrunch my hair. I have really curly hair at baseline. Absolutely. Yeah. So you just put a little in your hand and then the important thing is to rub it into your scalp or the area where you have hair loss, right? So I actually use on my eyebrows. So I just put a little bit on my finger and I rub it on my eyebrows and it's amazing. I can testify that it does work. You can get little eyebrow spoolies or like mascara spoolies on Amazon. So I use those. That's awesome. I don't do it every night of the week. You should ideally. But I think even using it a few times a week, it has been effective for me and most of my patients. And it is a leave-in treatment. So I will do it at night and I'll leave it in overnight. But to your point, yeah, getting it on the scalp is the most important. We don't really need it on our hair. The other trick that I think has been a little bit more popular in the last few months, at least I've seen on social media, and it does work, is if you're already using a tretinoin, some sort of like anti-aging retinol, applying that to the area first and exfoliating some of that dead skin off does, I think, maybe help it penetrate a little bit better too. So I've seen a lot of that going around as well. I definitely have had patients do that and find it to be really effective. And I also would just recommend buy the minoxidil in bulk, right? Because this is not a quick fix. You have to do this, especially in the beginning. I would say ideally every day in the beginning until you notice that hair regrowth. And then I think you can cut back to using it a few times a week just to maintain but you're going to need several bottles of this. So Mm -hmm. go ahead and just buy the three pack from Costco, right? Yeah. Now beyond minoxidil, are there other things people can do? So I think the supplement game has really been, again, popular on social media lately. And I think there's some benefits to some of them. And I think there's a lot of myths about other things. So I'm sure you hear every patient just like I do taking biotin for hair loss. Most of the claims that biotin had, I think we all kind of agree that it's not as efficient for hair growth as we used to think. So I usually try to tell my patients not to take just high dose biotin anymore. Same thing with collagen supplements. I haven't seen enough evidence-based science to say that those are going to be efficient or not. I have been happy with some of the supplements that I've personally taken and done some research on. The two that I pretty much probably talk about the most are the company Nutrafol, which is a little bit more known, I think. And then there's another one that is created by a dermatologist called Inner Glow Vitamins. And the reason I like them is I think that they're science-backed. I think that the ingredients in them are more than just biotin. So a lot of them have B-complex, there's vitamin B, 
you know, one, two, three, there's iron in some of them. Nutrafol specifically has soft palmetto in it, which I love. That works at the level of the testosterone and dihydrotestosterone pathway. And all of that basically is pushing. If you're stopping that pathway, it's pushing more hair follicles into that growth phase, which is what we want. Saw palmetto supposedly has been linked to decreased milk production. And some people have linked it to that. So the Nutrafol postpartum supplement that I really took myself and I really enjoyed does not have that, but it is considered to be safe during breastfeeding. So I took that personally. I started day one and I actually, I think I stopped around I don't know, maybe month eight or nine. And I was just rethinking of starting it again because I have all these bottles of it. I don't think it hurts to be on something like that, but that's been my big fan. They have a lot of like adaptogens that I think help from an antioxidant level as well. I love that you started it day one. Oh, I did. Yes, <laughs> yes. This this time around, the first time I didn't. The first time, I don't know if I was naive to think it wasn't going to happen to me or I was yeah. just overwhelmed most likely from everything else. But this time I knew it would come back, but I just kind of wanted it to come back faster or come back sooner. Yeah. It's great that they have the one suitable for women who might be breastfeeding in the postpartum period. Because again, we want to make sure we're doing things that are safe. And I can't remember if we mentioned this, but can women who are breastfeeding use minoxidil? So I have seen physicians who go both ways. I personally think it is safe to use. Yes. You know, I have a couple of apps and books that talk about what drugs are safe during lactation and pregnancy, etc. So I haven't found anything to suggest that there would be any harm. When my patient asks, I always tell them they can double check with their pediatrician if they're worried about it. But I definitely give my patients the green light to use it. Yeah. And I actually think what is potentially more concerning is if you have younger children like toddlers around, it doesn't have a cap or at least the one I have doesn't have a like childproof cap. And they actually have had some reports of kids ingesting it and having problems with blood pressure and things like that. So oh my gosh, yeah. So I always just mention if you've got little kids at home, not just the baby, just make sure you treat it like a medicine, keep it high up, don't get it where your child can actually open it or push the button on it. Yeah. Because that is probably more concerning. My cap doesn't stay on that well. You're right. So (laughs) half the time it doesn't have a cap on it. And where can people get the supplements like Nutrafol? Is that something you have to get from a dermatologist? Can you get that online? You can get that online. I would say the majority of patients get it online um, just from their website. I think they have a good, like you were saying about getting the minoxidil in bulk. So all of these are chronic things we're going to use, right? Yeah. If you're using it for postpartum hair loss, you may not have to use it for the rest of your life, but I would plan to use it for at least that six to nine month period. So Nutrafol does a good job of like having a subscribe and save where I think they send you three months at a time. So their website's probably the easiest. Inner Glow Vitamins, she has her own Instagram page, her own website as well. And then I know a lot of physician offices that sell Nutrafol from their own office as well. Now, speaking of offices, are there in-office procedures that someone might want to consider? Yeah. So I personally perform and had it done on myself, PRP or platelet-rich plasma. Most of the studies for that have been done to show its efficiency in androgenetic or hormonal hair loss because the data shows that, again, it promotes more hairs to go into that antigen phase. Platelet-rich plasma, really simply put, is basically a procedure where we draw the patient's blood, we spin it down, and we get this part called plasma. And that platelet-rich plasma specifically has a lot of cytokines in it, growth factors, specifically for the hair follicles that helps that hair kind of get pushed into that growth phase. 
So even though I think the studies have been done mainly for androgenetic hormonal hair loss, I think it would also work for this type of hair loss. And again, I remember this time around, I was a little bit quicker to do it. I don't know if there's a great answer. I was researching it myself for myself as to when to do it, but I tried to do it a little bit before the shedding happened this time around. I know there are some dermatologists also, I don't do a lot of this, but I know there's some dermatologists that do steroids. So not interlesional steroid like in the hair, but they do it in the muscle to kind of potentially suppress that inflammatory response that is going to happen. But again, the timing of that is a little questionable. So but PRP would be my main thing to do, I think. I agree. I think so. And people have definitely had some good results with that for not just androgenetic alopecia, but the hormonal, but also for the telogen effluvium. So that's great to know. What about just like washing your hair day to day stuff? I feel like a lot of people, when they see their hair falling out, they avoid washing their hair and they associate washing their hair with making it come out. Yeah, no, that's a great point. So yeah, what what would you advise or what do you advise your patients on? So like you said, you know, washing it is not going to make it fall out anymore in the sense that whatever hairs unfortunately are ready to fall out, they're going to fall out, whether it is sleeping on it or brushing it or washing it. But that being said, I think there can be some overwashing that's being done, but we can also have underwashing. So I know patients yeah. who wash their hair every day and that is stripping the hair of its natural oil. So I always say focus on your hair type and focus on scalp health. So I'm someone with incredibly dry, coarse hair. It takes me a long time to do my hair. It requires a lot of heat, etc. So I only wash it maybe one to two times a week. If I washed my hair every day, it would be incredibly brittle. But then I have patients who produce more sebum, they have more oil production, and they have to wash their hair about every other day. So I would say if you are one of those patients, I would not worry about overwashing. I think it's more important to focus on good products that are going to keep that scalp healthy. If you have seborrheic dermatitis or dandruff, essentially, we want to keep that under control using good heat protectants. If you are styling your hair, anything you can do to minimize damage on top of it while that new hair is coming in, I think it's going to be really important. That's great to really know your hair type because if you do have coarser hair, you are going to want to use something different than someone with really fine hair. But again, shampoo, is not or washing your hair is not the problem. So don't overdo it, but don't underdo it either. And then for conditioners, I just tell my patients to really just apply it to the ends of the hair and to avoid getting it a lot of it on the scalp, just because I think that can also weigh your hair down and just make the hair shedding or the, the hair thinning look a little more noticeable. Yeah, I usually follow that same recommendation unless you have very dry hair like I do. I I do conditioner top to bottom. But again, I'm only washing sometimes once a week, right? So if you are washing every other day, absolutely, that would weigh, yeah, would weigh your hair down. I don't know if you experienced this, but my hair texture totally changed during my pregnancy with my first and then it went back to normal. And then with my second, it got a lot more curl to it and texture, it's coarser, and it never went back. So you may notice your hair changes after pregnancy and after your kids. And that's normal too. And it's just life. And I actually am kind of enjoying my curlier hair. But yeah, it totally changed afterwards. It was really interesting. I've definitely heard patients say that mine did for the most part, I don't think mine did. But I've just gotten better about doing safer things to it. So I finally found a good balance and a really good hair 
stylist to keep it healthy, even though I do diet and I use heat, et cetera. So I think that was a big part of it for me. Now, when would you recommend that people just cut their hair and get the mom haircut? Oh, that's such a personal <laughs> preference, I think, because I, I never did it. I couldn't do it. I was, even though I was shedding, I was actually losing a lot. So a lot of us will start to like notice that our hair kind of recedes backwards. Yeah. We start to lose a little bit of that temporal. So I just found hairstyles to essentially hide it. But yeah, I mean, the mom haircut is great. It's easy to do if you have crazy kids like mine running around. So I would say personal, totally personal preference. Timeline wise, hair shedding usually, like I said, would, is going to start three to four months postpartum. So a lot of my patients, a lot of my friends usually go for the haircut around like month six when it's just really shedding and they need something different. I'm kind of just joking too, but it does make sense when your hair's falling out and you're stressed out and you've got these kids to take care of. Sometimes it's just easier and you just need sort of a new start. And that's the great thing about hair. It grows, right? So you can cut it off. I cut mine off during COVID and I'm growing it back out again. It just (laughs) typically it grows, right? And these are great tips for for helping it grow. What would be your top three pearls for someone going through postpartum hair loss or telogen effluvium? I would definitely say have patience. It is totally stressful. I understand that, but try to have patience because it will come back. If you want to grow it back sooner, I think it is worth looking into one of those supplements that we discussed and absolutely starting something like minoxidil foam. I don't think that there's much harm done there. And then focusing on healthy hair habits. So that is going to be figuring out your hair type, using heat protectant, using UV protectant, which most heat protectants offer if you're going to be in the sun, and just really keeping that scalp healthy. And that's really just great hair advice and scalp advice, period, right? Whether you're going through telogen effluvium or not. So just great advice all around. Dr. Miss Lonker, thank you so much for being here. This is a lot of fun. Where can our listeners and viewers find you if they want to follow you or learn more about what you're up to? So I am on Instagram at Dr. Miss Lonker, M-I-S-L-A-N-K-A-R. And yeah, post a lot about hair on there. So I would love to have you follow along. Great. Well, I would definitely post that in the show notes. And it's been great having you on. I've definitely learned some tips myself. And we'll see everyone next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Skin Reel. I hope it's been informative, educational, and perhaps a little entertaining. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to like and subscribe and share with a friend. Don't want to stop your learning just yet? Head on over to theskinreel.com for show notes, blog posts, and so much more. Until next time, skin friends.